My name is Anda Gunska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Today on the podcast, we have the amazing Amanda Brinkman. Amanda is a total powerhouse, not only because she's the chief brand and communications officer for the Deluxe Corporation, but she's also the face of their entire content strategy. The content strategy is centered around a super creative, incredibly entertaining show called Small Business Revolution, which is about to kick off filming for its fifth season. She talks a bit about that in this episode, along with her thoughts on taking risks with content and how storytelling helps champion brand purpose, but also how you have to marry data with your gut feelings, especially when it comes to creative excellence. Here's my conversation with Amanda Brinkman, the Chief Brand and Communications Officer of the Deluxe Corporation. Hi, Amanda. Hi, thank you for having me. Welcome. You have such an amazing story. You've been in creative agencies for most of your career, and then you jumped into the the brand side. Is that the dark side, or is the agency the dark side? Well, you know, I do miss the agency side because you're you're just surrounded with such creative minds and strategic Mm. thinking. Um, But I really wanted to go to where I felt like the decisions were being made and kind of bring that creativity from the inside out. So, do you torture your agencies or no? No, I'm so nice (laughs) to them. It makes me crazy. When I hear my colleagues calling agencies vendors, I you know, know. they're partners, they're, they're the ones who are bringing us the great ideas. So, um, but I feel like you need really creative people on the corporate side. If all the creativity only resides on the agency side, then companies don't make brave decisions and ideas don't get fought for. And so in all of my corporate roles, I've really felt like that was part of my responsibility was to kind of to be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, to really fight for creativity from the inside out. And from a brand experience perspective, you're just able to affect so much more when you're on the brand side because you know who is, you might not have control over every element that, that contributes to brand experience, but you know who is in charge of those things and you can kind of bring them together more holistically. Sometimes agencies only have one contact or are only working on one part of a program. Um, and we all know that from a brand experience perspective and a customer experience perspective, you need to be affecting all of those things. Totally. Well, it's interesting to to learn more about Deluxe because I didn't know about it before. And then I realized just how much content you've been creating and not just dabbling in it. You have, you know, the presence of essentially a media company. Yeah. So how did you, did you come up with all of this? Was it there when you arrived? How did you think about it? Yeah, no, I, I did come up with it, though it has taken an entire team to bring it to fruition. And I have an amazing team. Um, you know, Deluxe is a hundred year old company that was known for a legacy product that was in decline. So we invented the checkbook um, and Deluxe's legacy is in the check printing space. And with the decline of checks being predicted over 20 years ago, we started to evolve our business and started doing other things for small businesses and financial institutions, which was who we were serving for those hundred years. But no one really knew us for that. Um, and when I joined the company, the challenge, the business problem was um, we were about to celebrate our hundredth anniversary, which is a notable achievement, but we really couldn't use it to talk about our past or our legacy. We really needed to use it as a launch pad to mm. talk about our future. We had less than 1% brand awareness with small businesses that we did all of these other things for them. How did that happen, by the way, over the 100 years? Well, you know, checks are primarily sold to you through your bank. 
And mm, so right. while um, most people had a deluxe checkbook in their hands at some point, they didn't, they didn't think about it as a deluxe product. Mm-hmm. They thought about it through their bank. Um, and small businesses just didn't know that we were doing all these other things for them. We had moved into the marketing space for small businesses. So we can do everything for a small business from their website to their logo to their promo and apparel, anything they need to market their business, hmm. but they didn't know us for that. We also weren't prepared to spend a lot on brand awareness. And so from the very beginning, to me, it felt like content was going to be the answer. We needed to do something that people wanted to spend time with and wait, share wait, 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 on wait, our Before behalf. you move on, though, how did you, because you, you just said such a huge statement. You knew from the beginning that content was the right answer. How? Well, I just feel like uh, when you pay for advertising, when you just do ads, though that was my background and where I came from, you're really just pushing a message one way and uh, you're talking about yourself primarily. And I think when you do content really well, it can be a two-way dialogue and it can show that you care about moving hearts and minds around things that matter and that you can change the lives of your customers in ways beyond just selling them things. And I think when you do really beautiful content, you have an opportunity to do that. Now, I think the risk with the word content is that it's becoming kind of a ubiquitous term for just about anything that a brand totally. puts out there. Totally. When I talk about content, I'm talking about really high quality programming, again, that people want to spend time with and share on your behalf. So, but content can mean everything from a white paper to a listicle to a social media post. People kind of use content to stand for just about anything now. Yeah. Um, Everything other than a display ad tends to be called content nowadays. I think that's right. And And sometimes even display ads because now they're called native ads. Yes. But if if they're like bigger, I guess, or I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, I think we need to start developing more of a lexicon within the word content um, because for me, when I say that I knew that the answer was content, I was pretty specific that I wanted to do a documentary. I wanted to do something really worthwhile Mm -hmm. and I wanted to truly create a movement. And I felt like the content was going to be the mother content to that, Mm -hmm. but that the movement would be all of these other actions and events surrounding it. And um, yeah, I just felt like that's how we were going to stretch our spend. So when I came in, I was given a very small budget and um, if we were drinking, we'd play a drinking game where every time I say small budget, you'd have to drink and would be <laughs> slashed by the end of this podcast. Because <laughs> um, I'll talk about that a lot. We don't have um, too much alcohol here. But... <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so we, we took our already small budget. And the bet that I was making is if we carved out a portion of that and invested it in really rich, high quality content, like cinematic quality content, that we could stretch our spend further than what that would have been if we would have just invested it in paid advertising. Hmm. And uh, so this wasn't an incremental budget that I was given because I came up with the content idea. This was taking our already predetermined ad spend Mm -hmm. and investing it in content. Wow, that's bold. I wish everyone that I meet with in the marketing space would speak of content the way you do, honestly. Because you're right, there's there's a lot of different definitions of it. And we, we measure content for a living. And... When it comes to measurement, it's even harder to not have a clear definition of it because we go in and we say we're a content intelligence platform. And all of a sudden, the other person thinks we're measuring display creative. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating. And so we actually go in and say, let's define. Like, how do you define content? Let's make sure we have the same definition. Well, exactly. Well, and I also think, like, when you think about the content that I think works really well is storytelling. I mean, storytelling is as old as time right that's how we have always passed along information and history and values and everything has always been through stories and at the end of the day we can be as technologically advanced and data rich as we want but at the end of the day people identify with stories and people and they want to connect and so i think when you're telling really rich stories that's how you get messages across and that's how you can again change hearts and minds around things that matter um you can 
you can just kind of push out messaging, you can kind of preach, you can shame, you can do all sorts of other things. But unless you're actually kind of as a brand taking real action around that messaging, unless you're doing that, then it just becomes kind of rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of brands right now are talking a lot about brand purpose. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hate that term. Do you roll your eyes? I do, because I think that a lot of brands are just stopping at the purpose statement. Mm-hmm. And then if you just stop at the purpose statement, then all it is is another fancier term for mm-hmm. mission statement. Mm-hmm. What I'm always talking about is that brands need to move past the purpose statement and take actual brand action. Like, how are you actually participating in the lives of your customers in a way that makes their lives better in whatever term better means to them? And and then I think content is where you tell the story of of the, those people and about the actions that you're taking as a brand. And without one or the other, I mean, I think you could be a brand as a publisher and put out great content, but if it isn't about anything that's of value, then it's just kind of Totally, yeah. Noise. Yeah. And if you're uh, taking brand action but not telling anyone about it, you're not actually leading by example mm-hmm. and getting the word out. And so you, it, for me, what we're doing is kind of those two things coming together is where the magic. We're a brand as a publisher. We're owning our own narrative and a narrative. We're pushing on a narrative that we think matters. But it's also a narrative about something we're actually doing. We're taking brand action in the lives of our customers. So is the idea that you're celebrating the customers and the types of um, work that you're enabling them to do? Yeah. So the work that we do is called the Small Business Revolution. And it's a series. It's a documentary series where each season we revitalize a different small town's main street through its small businesses. So it's an actual show. It's a series. It started out as a storytelling uh, documentary series where we told the stories of 100 small businesses. Um, and we rolled those out in our 100th year. So that's how we celebrated our centennial was this, with this really rich, beautiful content. And um, it wasn't just stories. And the word video is actually forbidden on my team. These were films. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're really films. saying all the right things. I can't tell you. I, I just came from a massive meeting where everyone was saying everything that you're saying they shouldn't be saying. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Well, I appreciate the approval. Um, uh, so, yeah, so it, it all started where we were going across the country telling these stories of 100 small businesses, and we were doing it through documentary film style. And that cinematic quality was part of the message. Um, we wanted to show them as the heroes that we believe small businesses are in our country. If at Deluxe we serve small businesses and we say that we love them, then let's show it and let's go out and tell their stories. We felt like the way we can make a difference for small businesses is to get more people to support them. At the end of the day, the thing small businesses need the most is business. And so um, rather than, again, doing an ad campaign or even a documentary about ourselves in our 100th year, we literally turned the camera and told the stories of the kinds of customers that we serve, all with the hopes to inspire more people to recognize the importance of supporting small businesses. And the reason it's called the Small Business Revolution is because it needed to feel like a movement. Mm. And I think the quality of the storytelling and the fact that it was movement first, brand second, like it's the Small Business Revolution championed by Deluxe. And the word championed was a very strategic decision. It wasn't brought to you by or sponsored by... I love championed. Thank you. Because it, it sounds so it, empowering to to the person that you're actually, or the company that you're actually featuring. I think it implies this, a level of advocacy and, and yeah, partnership. Yeah, 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 and yeah. We're, we're there yeah. for you and we're enabling you. We're not telling you what to do or we're not just standing by. We're, and we it's believe positive. in you. Brought to you could be positive or negative. You have no idea. But championed can't be negative. Yeah, it's it's action-oriented, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so as we were going across the country telling these stories of 100 small businesses, we noticed that nowhere are small businesses more under siege than in our small towns. Mm. It's really hard for um, businesses, even in large urban areas, to compete. Mm. 
Um, you got big box stores moving in on the edge of town. I was going to say, is this series going to be called Rage Against Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> you've got online competition. You've got um, you've got uh, major streets being, you know, highways being rerouted around the historic downtowns and for ease of travel. And so these mom and pop shops are struggling. And so when we were telling their stories, that was great. That was so great for them. Um, they got all this national attention. It was wonderful for them. But we felt like we could take that help a step further. The things that they were struggling with, we do as a business. And so we felt like, let's stay true to the storytelling. Let's tell the stories of these small businesses. Because when you hear a business owner's story, you want to support them. Mm-hmm. When you you know hear about the struggles or the challenges or the opportunities, what they're learning, what their kids are learning, you just you want to bring back everyone you know to eat there, or to shop there. You recognize that you're yeah, supporting a family. it's personal all of a sudden. Yeah. And so we wanted to stay true to that storytelling because that's what, what the movement was really about. But then we wanted to take it a step further and help them. And so uh, we felt like, what if we went in and actually, um, you know, turned it into a kind of a makeover show, but a makeover show with heart. We're not there to make them look stupid or to change their passion. I love that, a business makeover. Yeah. Yeah. So we go in each se- or each episode, we go in and help a different small business and we help them with their marketing. We help them get to know their numbers and what the numbers are telling them. We do a physical transformation. There's a great before and after. But throughout all of it, you're hearing this narrative about the business and their family mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. they're doing it and how important they are to their community. And we really never have to change their passion or their skill set. We're just helping them with the resources that don't come naturally to most small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you, you're an entrepreneur yourself, yes. but if you know other small businesses, um, uh, very few of them, not many started their business because okay. they couldn't you wait to do it. the marketing I, I, or run I'm not the good at business. the marketing piece either <laughs> trust me <laughs> that's um, why we have a, a marketing team now but in the early stages you kind of have to do everything mm-hmm. and if you're a small business that is kind of a lifestyle business that never changes mm-hmm. and so you need partners to be able to help you yeah a bakery starts because they love to make croissants and yeah. a daycare starts because they love kids but all these businesses require the running of the business as well and so throughout the show, and the reason that it's a series, I mean, we could just go, we could have just gone out and helped businesses one by one. And this is what we do as a business on a day-to-day basis. But we felt like by filming these transformations, it would be educational and inspirational to more people because it had a platform and more people could see it. Um, we love getting letters from small businesses or notes on Instagram where, they're, where they say, I couldn't take notes fast enough. I was entertained by the episode, but I was learning so much in the process. So we always say the show is kind of that one part inspiration, inspiring you to support small businesses, one part education, so small businesses can learn from what we're helping with in the show. But then also one part affirmation is a big reason Mm -hmm. why we do it. A lot of small business owners feel like they're the only ones struggling with not knowing how to manage their website or not knowing their numbers or not having enough capital to get a new awning. And so we we love just kind of affirming them like you're not alone. So funny. We're here with you. Other business owners are struggling with the same thing. There's just something about affirmation. I think that's a human need. Totally. I say it's funny because I uh, our our VC does these quarterly entrepreneur dinners, and I guess the initial intention was let's bring these folks together. We'll have a speaker, and then we'll have like a really um, educational conversation about like how to manage your board. But it inevitably always devolves into a therapy session mm-hmm. because we're all just mm-hmm. like, wait, you struggle too? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's lonely to be a business owner. Oh, like yeah. you're supposed to have all the answers, especially if you start adding a, a staff and mm-hmm. um, you're looked to as, as having all the answers. But often no one person can ever be equally skilled in all the things. That's why as a company grows, you get marketing experts and you get um, financial experts and you get people who you know can surround you and, and complement your skills. But 
um, business owners where they're a sole proprietor or only have one or two employees don't have the luxury of all of that. And so, so anyway, so the the whole show is each season again we revitalize the entire Main Street, but you know six of the eight episodes focus on an individual small business, mm-hmm. and we try to cover as many verticals as possible. Um, any business owner can learn from any of the episodes, but it, it's helpful if you run a dog grooming business right. to watch the episode where we help a dog grooming business. There's just some idiosyncrasies and operational um, specification to each business. So tell me a little bit about the targeting, because that's a really good point for us to expand on. If you're if you're just pushing out a dog's groom dog's grooming business video. <laughs> Did I say that right? Yeah, but you used the word video. Sorry. Sorry. Oh my God. I can't <laughs> believe I said video. <laughs> Bad Anda. Uh, <laughs> story yeah uh how do you how do you find those businesses that are going to be interested in that story uh well uh through a variety of terms i mean there's lookalike targeting on social media and uh we we have we work with four and a half million small businesses at deluxe and so we know enough about our own customers you know and oftentimes that they might be buying one or two things from us but we could be doing five or six other things so from a cross-sell perspective mm-hmm. it's really helpful for us to we know enough about our customers to know that the, you know what category they're in mm-hmm. um and then there's things we can do around lists and leads and mm-hmm. and um so it's it's kind of the typical targeting but we try to uh utilize as many um individual specific stories as possible because I think a lot of times two business owners feel like their business is so unique Mm -hmm. and so if we're targeting restaurants we want to serve them a restaurant episode or content related to the restaurant episode because it's just going to resonate that much more yeah of course oh I have so many questions I'm like lining them up in my head um as, as you think about the team that makes this or the collection of teams how much of it is internal? How much of it is outside partners, agencies mm-hmm. included? Um, and then how much of it is kind of centrally governed versus dispersed? It sounds like it's very centrally governed, but is there any grassroots content effort that you allow inside of the company? Or do you want to make sure everyone sings out of the same songbook? Uh, kind of the same songbook, but there's legs to it. So the what works really, really well about creating a series um, and a show is that it it's the mother content. So a huge part of my job, my job, and um, my core team's job is to kind of, is to produce and show run an actual series that's watchable, engaging, authentic, and kind of protect that genuine nature of it so that it, it's on Hulu and it's on Prime and it wouldn't be on those platforms if it started to feel you know, like an infomercial and things like that. So we really kind of protect the series. And then we work on different tiers of content coming out of that. So we might break down a, a particular marketing principle that we talk about in the episode, or we might break down a certain financial piece of advice. And then we also do all the other things you would expect from a content perspective. We do case studies and we do do listicles and all the other things. But because of the cachet of the series... I feel like listicle is a dirtier word than video, but that's just... Sorry, keep going. (laughs) That's true. Um, uh, You're right. Um, uh, I'm going to... If you say listicle again, I'll be be on you. (laughs) Uh, It's an entire tree of content that all comes out of it. And so Mm -hmm. if we weren't doing the show, we wouldn't have kind of all these different assets Mm -hmm. coming out of it. And our fan base might resonate with it. But that's what our Mm -hmm. competitors are doing. Our competitors are doing a case study on how a website works well for a restaurant. But we're tying it back to these characters you've fallen in love with that you've seen on television. Like it it all kind of hangs together. And so while my team and I don't control every single piece of that content, 
we are the guiding star around the voice and and the authenticity by which we want to show up. Mm-hmm. And so it really is kind of goes all the way back to that word championed. Like we never want it to feel we want to walk that fine line of walking alongside the small businesses and empowering them. I mean, entrepreneurs in and of themselves, because they're entrepreneurs, have a certain they don't kind of want to be told what to do do they want advice they want some they, they need, might need some help but the way in which you give it has to be very carefully right. managed and yeah, so we, again it's always just about the spirit of helping mm-hmm. and helping for the right reasons um and so so that that theme kind of comes out of my group but in terms of our actual team we don't actually have an agency so um i produce and, and uh show run the show and then we work directly with a documentary film company out of austin texas they're amazing um, and so between the actual production uh, and the team um, and myself and then my small business revolution team, that's that's kind of it. And then we have a PR agency or earned media agency, mm-hmm. non-traditional agency that um, helps us promote the show. A huge part of the strategy of the show is earned media. So um, each year uh, we range between reaching 12 to 14 times more people than we would if we invested the same amount of money we invest in the films in paid advertising so wow. and we and that stretch comes that? from uh because we know how many people we reach and we know what the cost to reach them would be if we were paying for it i see so and so that reach that it's that so return cool. is through earned media the number of stories that are written about right. it and then also um organic sharing and social media and so and again i think it's because we are so mindful of the authenticity of the program i mean i think if we strayed from that people wouldn't want to share it and they, they would smell a brand from a mile away but because they can sense the heart and how we do it and it's and it's about the businesses first and being helpful then i think people want to share it on our behalf and and the news stories we get written about it like our, in our first year we had uh, nearly a thousand stories written about the small business revolution mm-hmm. And I think, I don't care how good you're at PR, I probably could have gotten like two stories written about the fact that we were turning 100. Like a centennial <laughs> should be notable, but it's not like, it's not yeah. a thousand stories. And that's stories if you had notable. friends you called yeah, and right. were like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> but because it was about something, because it was about something that mattered and, and doing good for small businesses, um, then it got written about and it was an mm-hmm. interesting series. And same thing with the series now. I mean, we... We spend a lot of time with the media. My co-host is uh, Ty Pennington, and and he and I we have a couple of tent poles where we do entire kind of you know satellite media tours talking about the program. Again, if we were just doing videos about small businesses like our competitors are, I don't know that we would be on Fox News and and all these things because but because it's all in this wrapper of the fact yeah. that it's a show and then it's newsworthy in a different way, and so that earned media to date we have about nine billion impressions between earned and social media um and uh it's all because i think we've kept the authenticity of the work at the forefront we'll be right back to prison content after this brief message the pros and content podcast is brought to you by notch the content intelligence platform for brands for a demo and to learn how to best plan, measure, optimize, and benchmark your content marketing strategy, visit us at Notch.com. K-N-O-T-C-H.com. Notch. It's all you'll ever need. Well, it sounds like you're probably an internal hero at the Lux. Like you just walk in and <laughs> run around with your <laughs> No, seriously, this is this is really amazing to to come into a company that is turning a hundred. 
and to to create such an interesting and creative voice for this company and to lead the reinvention of the brand through it. It's it's pretty awesome. Thank you. Let me ask you something kind of separate from this. Why do you think B2B companies suck at marketing? Uh, because they don't think they need to do it. And they think that their relationship cycle is different. Um, I think mm-hmm. a lot of times people think marketing B2C is easier because people, marketers think that people are easier to crack and figure mm-hmm. out. But at the end of the day, I just feel like everyone making a decision is still a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for us, we're very much a B2B. We're a big business marketing to small businesses. But uh, it, there's still people on the other side of that making a decision about who they're going to work with. And so I think if you just appeal to the humanity and the, the big insight with this work is that small businesses don't actually know that they need the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our competitors do this do the same products and services. But small businesses aren't sitting around going, you know, I think I should update my website. They're mm-hmm. like, how do I get the bathroom yeah. cleaned? And yeah. how do I do my inventory? And that new employee isn't showing up on time. They're worried yeah, about yeah, a million yeah. other things. They're not thinking about these things. But they do sit down and watch Shark Tank or The Profit or Small Business Revolution. And so uh, they find out about Deluxe in a really authentic, helpful way. And so by investing in content that isn't just videos or dare I say listicles, <laughs> you're breaking through in a different way. And now you're now you're um, kind of becoming a part of like what they're spending their own time on. Mm. Um, and uh, they feel like they're watching something entertaining. And it is. Um, but they're learning something in the meantime. And, and it's meaningful work. And so I think that's the big thing for marketers to try and crack. It's like, how do you move beyond just talking at people? And how do you start doing something that people like genuinely want to spend time with like a show? So my assumption on top of what you said, um, my assumption is that also the marketers that go into B2B companies aren't as creative. They're more kind of numbers led. Um, So how did Deluxe manage to convince you to join? Because I (laughs) I hear you talk about cross-sell. So I know you're probably all into the, you know, lead generation. How long does it take? How do we qualify it, et cetera? I'm sure you have all that business lingo down. But as a creative, how did they convince you? Uh, I just felt like the opportunity to turn around a hundred-year-old brand, again, known for a legacy product in decline, from a brand <laughs> challenge. To most people, they'd be like, okay, bye-bye. Yeah, if I look at that less than 1%, and I'm like, hey, everywhere from here is up. Like, I, I like a good <laughs> challenge. I mean, I think you can go to a brand that's sexy from the outside and looks really cool, and it might look great in your resume, but, like, how much are you actually going to move the needle as a marketer? Yeah. Like, yeah. if anything, that's it's kind of like, don't F up the brand. Like, right. Instead, I kind of like to go to these little sleepy companies where people don't expect things. I think you Just can actually make them more up. of a difference. Yeah. I mean, it certainly took a, I, I report directly to our CEO, so that helped in terms of decision tree. Yeah. Um, but I think that was a big part of it in the interviewing process. I'm like, we're going to have to do something bold. In my mind, documentary film was going to be a part of it. Exactly how it came to life was something that I evolved once I got there mm-hmm. and spent time with small businesses um, was really where the insights came for exactly this execution. But, um, you know, I think it's about on the way in being convinced that they want to do something bold. But so the company already knew that they wanted to do something bold, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's why they called. Like, right. so I think uh, so I, I do applaud them for knowing that they needed to do something that was going to break through. I think I know that they didn't know it'd be quite this creative. I mean, <laughs> I literally had to stand in front of our board and say, hey, you know how we love to measure everything? Instead, I'd love to do like these really beautiful films that are going to be extremely hard to measure. Like that was essentially what I was telling them. But I even used storytelling and convincing them that to take this bet with me like that this was going to matter more, you know, and I I always get questions 
and I know this is your line of business, but I always get questions around how we're measuring it and and how effective Obviously, is it. That's why and, the board is there. That's yeah, what they do. <laughs> exactly. And so it was really about like, listen, our only other option is to keep measuring these things that we know are working. But how do we ever know if the difference between 12 and 14 percent could actually be 32 percent? Like we'll never break out of it if we keep doing this tried and true piece. And I think as marketers, sometimes we need to walk away. We're so in love with metrics and data, and it's great to have it, and it's so insightful. Yeah, don't don't shit on data. I'm not, I'm <laughs> not, not. on this podcast. No, I'm but joking. we Please have to marry it with like our gut. Like at the end of the day, like doesn't it just make sense that small businesses would want to buy from a company that appears to not only want to invest in caring about them, but is doing things but actually does that actually is caring about them. Like some of it is just about like. At our spend level, we would have been just a whisper in a competitive spend hurricane. We're being outspent about 14 to 1, even today with what we've spent on, on the films. And it's like, so we could have just done a sea of sameness ad that said, hey, we do websites. Yeah. But so is everyone else. And they're buying Super Bowl spots to do it. And we're not. Oh, God. And wow. so we had to stand apart from them in some way. And I'm just a huge believer that companies can do well by doing good. I gave a TEDx talk on that last year. Like, I just think it's so important to think about, like, we don't have to think about doing well as a company and doing good for our customers as two, like, mutually exclusive things. Like, only nonprofits can do that and only for-profits can make money. I think the two things can coexist. And it's just about figuring out what matters and lives to your customers and how you can participate in it. That's beautiful. I feel like that's that's probably a bit a, a short stint out of your TEDx talk. But yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, how talking about measurement? How did you think about putting any type of measurement? Did you put any measurement around it? What was your metric of success? Because I'm well, sure you had one. Yeah, this is really our answer to brand awareness and brand perception shifting. So mm-hmm. we had low brand awareness, and then when people did know us, they knew us for checks, and so we right. had big business problems to solve from that. So we measure this work based on, are we changing those perceptions from raising the awareness? That's fair. The way that we then measure it throughout the rest, this is very much top of funnel stuff. This is about just changing perceptions. Where we spend the majority of our dollars as a company and from a marketing perspective is in the places that are measurable, direct mail, demand gen, lead gen, um, SEM and SEO. So it's really about um, making those marketing efforts more effective. Mm -hmm. And that will always be hard to kind of one-to-one prove, mm-hmm. unless you have, a, you probably have a solution for that. Oh, yeah, I have all the solutions. You have all the solutions. <laughs> but it, it's about making it more effective. So it, so before we did the Small Business Revolution, we were still sending people direct mail that said, want to buy a website? Want to <laughs> put your logo yeah. on a T-shirt? Um, we can do that for you. And people were like, Delu-, they were like, deluxe who? Or they I were like, I've deluxe that. the now check company? Uh, and yeah. then they yeah, throw yeah, it yeah. away. But now, if through hearing about it in the media or perhaps seeing right. the small business revolution or all the other ways in which we're reaching people because of, you don't even have to have watched an episode but with all the media that surrounds it and social media, if you've now heard of it, then you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of them. I know this company. And, and it would make sense that then that would be that much more effective. So those are the two ways we measure it. It's kind of impressions and reach of the actual work and the earned media around it and social media. And then the effectiveness, how it's making the rest of the funnel more effective. When it comes to SEO, syndication, et cetera, I'm assuming you're still using some of this content, driving people back to it, right? Mm-hmm. And having them consume it. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, the small bus- while the Small Business Revolution, the series is on Hulu and Prime, it also streams online at smallbusinessrevolution.org, which actually sits on the deluxe.com domain. Right. So we're retaining that search authority. Um, but 
but the smallbizrevolution.org experience feels very much, and it is very much about the show and very much about the movement. And it, you see the deluxe it's brand, trendy, yeah. but it doesn't feel like our corporate website. Um, and then we use a lot, we try to use as much imagery as possible from the show and from the series throughout everything else. And that's another one of the gifts that the Small Business Revolution gives is that we come up with the, this entire library of real photography of small businesses. We're not buying the same stock images as our competitors where you see the woman flipping the open sign. Like everybody's <laughs> buying that same image. These are real businesses out there that we have really worked with. Sorry, now I just realized I've probably seen that 50 million times. Yeah, I know everyone, exactly the image what yeah. you mean. So, but like really great photography. The other thing that's really helps us do too is it gives incredibly insightful product feedback and mm. also from a marketing insights perspective. So how I was talking about earlier about how small businesses don't know they need these things. We, of course, have entire marketing teams that are focused on, you know, search terminology and, and how we're... Um, SEO and, and how we're showing up in rankings, but we were always making these assumptions that small businesses were searching for these things in a certain way and calling mm. them certain things. And now after this intimate, you know, working with small businesses, we just know so much more about our customers. Mm. And so while quantitative feedback and um, data and insights can be um, so important that there's nothing that can kind of replace that ethnographic, qualitative spending time with your customers to really understand how they make purchase decisions. And so that's been another kind of happy part of, of this work. Let me ask you something. Do you think that it would be fair to try to draw a straight line between a, I, I almost said video, between a story <laughs> that you have on smallbusinessrevolution.org and a conversion, whatever you define a conversion? I don't, but that is something that I have to talk about all the time. I know, that's you know? why I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's really exhausting <laughs> um, to constantly get that question. Um, you know, Sorry. the market. No, no, I think it's, it's important to question. share how we how we respond to these questions. Hey, even my dad. Asks I know the answer. Me. He's like, oh, sure. "Hey, I love your show. Is it driving business for deluxe?" Like, oh, you know, really? even my own father asks me that. So it's a natural question. Um, but the attribution model is getting better and better. I mean, we're, we know more thing from tagging and cookie. Like, there's ways yeah. that we can track some users, but it's only if they're watching the show on our platform. Um, exactly. If they're watching it on Hulu or Prime, depending on it's what hard. device they're on, it's it's hard to do that audience mapping exactly. all the way through. But, you know, it, plus we also need to think about the kinds of products and services we sell are not impulse purchases. So we don't expect or shouldn't expect that someone watches an episode and says, that's right, I should redesign my logo and like turns to their <laughs> yeah. computer and gets to work at Deluxe.com <laughs> and to redesign their logo. It's more about planting these seeds. If we can capture that customer data, it would be so much more effective to then retarget them later around some of those same things rather than expect that that one you know, that episode is going to drive this one action over here. Again, thinking through, we're reaching them at a time when they're relaxing at night. They might, they're consuming a show. They're not, yeah. you know, they're not in yeah. kind of business mode. Um, and so I don't think it's fair to draw a straight line, but there are still ways that we can attribute the viewership to it. I started realizing a while ago that the businesses that really create content and take it seriously are actually the businesses that have stuff that's hard to sell. Mm-hmm. Because if you have something that's easy to sell, you're probably just going to do a performance marketing campaign and that's it. That being said, it still would hurt your brand if you had absolutely no investment in your brand. But if you have something that's harder to sell, there's a journey. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm just, I'm just thinking of how to respond to this in a way that 
Uh, some, you can uh, scream spark, too. No, that sparks so many ideas. No, we we sometimes get advice from from people who are like, "Oh, just it's all about search is the name of the game," which it is, in many many ways. But search is the name of the game. All we not have to do is just optimize against the terms, figure out that in the right way, and we're golden. And it's like, ah, uh, for for some products, and a lot of times the people who are getting this advice are have sold something that is a one time transaction, and it is literally down to price competition, yep. maybe a little bit of product performance, but usually price. And people probably have a subconscious brand impression when they land on the different pages. That's not what this is like for small businesses. Plus, we offer a suite of services. We want them to buy their logo, but then also come back for their business cards and to put that logo on a pen and to um, do email marketing. Like it's a, to your point, it's Top a sales. nurturing relationship. Mm -hmm. And so search and only relying on kind of that one-time ranking really only applies if it's something that you know what you're after and you're it's coming down to price and anything else that falls outside of that bucket, there's just more work that has to be done. I would just argue though that that's still not a good way to build a business because ultimately, I agree. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, if you want to be in a price war, a feature war, whatever, then sure, knock yourself out. I feel like if someone put a gun to my head right now and asked me, what was the Instagram brand that I bought the last pairs of shoes from? I could not tell you because mm -hmm. I just don't care, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. if it's cheaper than the other thing, then I'll get it. And and I think that increases the cost of acquiring a customer. I mean, there's real kind of damage to the to the marketing mm -hmm. budget, mm -hmm. but it also completely dilutes the brand. It's so hard to build yourself out of that corner. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's exactly what you've done. And so I, I'm happy to hear that you've been successful at convincing the board and that the management already had a lot of trust in you. Yeah. And, and for your listeners who are trying to make the same uh, similar case within their organizations, you know, one piece of advice I could give is... From the very beginning, try to manage expectations around not just a different approach to measurability, but also the fact that these are long-term plays. Like when mm -hmm. you do something like this, it will matter, but only if you stay committed to it for a while. If we would have just done that first year as remarkably successful as year one of the 100 stories was, it would have just faded away. It was a big yeah, deal in 2015, but then it wouldn't have really... Well, there's... You... It wouldn't have sustained, but the fact that we kept investing in it and kept not investing more, but just continued down the path of doing it year over year. That's why we have this groundswell of momentum and, and why the media outlets that cover it are bigger every year and why our social media following keeps getting bigger. It's about that it being a longer term play. And so I think that was a big part of it on the way in too that I sold the board on. Like this is not a one and done one right. year thing. Like we need to we need to commit to this to see the returns from it. How did you get them comfortable? I mean, you you'd spoke a little bit about the rhetoric around it, but what if our listeners are in a company that uh, where where that's a little bit harder to do? Um, is there a way you could you could just experiment with it? Mm -hmm. Is there a way you could learn quickly and then kind of keep getting more investment and more investment? Absolutely. So that's a, a very insightful question. So oftentimes we call it small bets. Like just make a couple of small bets with the budget that you have. Things that might not maybe a budget level that doesn't require a lot of like senior management approval, mm -hmm. test and learn, test and learn, show the engagement. If you do, you can even do A-B testing around content. You know, if this one's really authentic and this one has our brand all over it, which one did people interact with more mm -hmm. in order to prove your theory that when the brand isn't as prevalent, people engage with it more and kind of, you know, test into that. You can still use some of the same principles that your company relies on around being able to measure things, but be testing, you know, two things, um, two pieces of creative that are a different approach to kind of see which one works better. Oftentimes, when I get pushed back on the series and someone says, could you show more of our logo in it? Or could you mm -hmm. put another, could you show yourself 
working on deluxe.com with the businesses within an episode <laughs> more and you know before i you know dry heave when they say that <laughs> um i say let's test that with an audience let's let's try both things and see which one resonates and That's nine times you. out of ten they're like nah, okay fine just do it the way you've been doing like it's oh, almost really? like they know that yeah that wouldn't test well with an yeah, audience yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, then why do you ask for it but anyway yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. um so i think well, sometimes i think the reason why it's so hard to be a marketer is because everyone thinks they could be good at it you know exactly like yeah. i don't go into you know the cfo's office and say yeah, yeah, yeah. i've been thinking about how yeah how you run your numbers <laughs> i got some ideas for you but everyone because they consume marketing mm-hmm. because we all do people think that they're, they're experts experts at it and it's really you should do that with a cfo though <laughs> i should do that you would <laughs> that would be it. so funny <laughs> you would love it um no, I think that's hard. And, you know, the other thing I've noticed, too, in moving from agency to corporate is there's a, if I may say, there's a lot of, there's a lack of bravery in mm. corporate America. Yeah. And people are afraid of ideas and they're afraid of pushing for their ideas and they're, there's fear of failure. And oh, I God, think yes. people are just so afraid of losing their jobs. And so they don't push for ideas. And I feel like unless you feel like you might get in trouble for the idea or it might be a career ending idea. Then the idea is not good enough. Like this was a this was obviously a huge risk that I, if it hadn't worked, I wouldn't be there anymore. I mean, yeah. but, but it almost has to be that bold for it to matter. I don't think many ideas that are safe are. End well, it's up, dead end up by a thousand anything. cuts. Yeah. Yes. And and so I I encourage marketers to like don't need your job. Like figure out how to set yourself up personally so that you can have. I call it. Do we swear on this podcast? Yeah, well, no, a little said, bit. I it's like a medium. Did you? Okay. Shit, yeah. Let's just call it the fu policy. Like, yeah. you need to. You, you need to swear. have. Like, I always have two phones. Like, I don't. I want to be able to at any point just be able to drop the phone <laughs> on the desk and be like, I'm out. Like, if we're not doing this right, it's not worth it. Like, like it. And um, and so you kind of have to be pushing for ideas that are that bold, or else you're just putting out like really neutral noise. I, so anyway, I just we should do another episode on how to how to financially plan your life so you can quit your job at any point yeah. <laughs> in a really dramatic way. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't live to the max of your means. There's the short version. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so we're getting to towards the end, and I want to ask you if if someone would have come to you ten years ago and could have given you any kind of a, a great piece of advice outside of the one you just said. What else do you think would have been good to know in advance of jumping into this this content creation adventure? Always do something that you truly believe in. Like, I just think life is too short. Marketers have the luxury of being the hearts of the company. And if we're not advocating for companies doing the right thing and standing behind messaging that matters in the world, like, who is going to? I don't think it's going to be the operations or fulfillment group or the financial group. And so as marketers we have this luxury of being able to do something we really care about. And so it just makes the work so much more rewarding if you think that it actually matters out there. And every company has not just a brand purpose, but some sort of unique brand action they could be taking to make the world a better place and make the lives of their customers better. And I don't expect every company to alleviate poverty or homelessness or solve water purification <laughs> for the <laughs> for the globe. But there is something that matters to your customers that you could be advocating for or doing. And if as marketers, we're not cracking that code, like I just don't think our companies will. And so the advice I would give is, you know, figure out how you can use your platform and the platform being your company's marketing to put out 
good, positive actions and messaging that matter. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. I really appreciate the chance to hear your story. And I love the fact that it's about a lot more than, you know, moving leads from one stage to another. That's very inspiring to hear. Yeah. You need need both sides of the marketing. I mean, what you guys do is exceptionally valuable. It's just about marrying both. I think we're becoming so data focused. We just can't lose, again, that qualitative gut that marketers have always had. It's some. It's just about those rich, qualitative, again, ethnographic insights and marrying that with the data. And then that's when you find the magic because then you're really, you're, you're being targeted, but with messaging that matters. If you just have one side or the other, it won't be enough. You need the data, but you also need the insight. By the way, um, yeah, because you, you've spoken about us as the other side. And I just, I want to say, I used to think what we we were born as a company in Silicon Valley, and I was I I had you know drank the Kool Aid, and I thought technology was the answer to everything. And then we moved the company to New York and started working with a lot of different brands, and realized that if you don't have the human intervention at the onset of a measurement framework, you're basically not measuring for anything that's relevant. Mm-hmm. You need a human to say, "Here's what my gut is telling me is going to be relevant for this campaign. Here's how we're going to measure it. Here's how success is defined." Because if you don't know what you're measuring for, you're not going to get anything. Yeah. Yeah, you're so, right. You guys are really I, bringing both of those sides yeah, we need, together. We need you. Yeah. And hopefully you need us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. That was such a fun conversation. Amanda is such a wise, confident marketer, and I really loved our talk. I'll never forget what she said about making stories, not videos. And what she also said about marketers having the privilege of being the heart of a company. I thought that was really meaningful, and it resonated with me. I hope it resonated with all of you. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode, and for any feedback that you have, please email me at anda at prosandcontent.co. I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to nominate other speakers for us to feature. And if you want to hear more amazing content about the pros and cons of making content or being a better storyteller in today's world, please head to prosandcontent.co for more episodes. The best thing you could do for us is to rate, review, and share the series so we can grow the community and the much-needed conversation around the purpose and importance of brand storytelling. See you next time on Pros and Content.